Sefer Nahum, the seventh book of Sefer Tre'asar. Sefer Nahum is completely about Ashur, Nineveh, the capital city. And there is no tochecha, no reprobation of Bnei Israel mentioned at all in this book. In order to understand what exactly is going on, we need a historical background of the times going on during the times of Nahum, as well as a background on Mahut Ashur and the capital city of Nineveh in particular. We'll start our history from the time of Chizkiyahu HaMelech. Chizkiyahu HaMelech was the king of Yehuda during the time when the kingdom of Israel, Mahut Israel, was, was destroyed by Sanchariv. Sanchariv, the king of Ashur, as we know, was one of the most powerful kings in the world at the time. And a few years after the Hurban Habayit, basically Chizkiyahu decided to be a vassal king towards Ashur, to agree to pay taxes towards Ashur in order to not be destroyed by this powerful kingdom. However, eventually, Chizkiyahu decided to stop paying the taxes, to stop being a vassal state to the king of Tusanchariv, and therefore Sanchariv came to attack Yerushalayim. According to Assyrian documents, historical documents that we have, he actually conquered 46 cities in the kingdom of Yehuda before finally laying siege to Yerushalayim. And as we know from Melachim Bet, the Malach of Hashem came and struck down 185,000 of Sanchariv's troops, leaving Sanchariv to go back, return to Nineveh, and decide to leave Yerushalayim alone for the time being. The next king, the son of Chizkiyahu, Menashe HaMelech, was not of the same caliber of Chizkiyahu. Chizkiyahu was a righteous king, Menashe, not so much. It makes a lot of sense that, as we know, there were still attacks being placed on Yerushalayim from Sanchariv, from Ashur, it makes a lot of sense that they had significant power at that time over the doings, over the pol politics of Yehuda. So therefore it makes a lot of sense that Menashe, perhaps in tandem with the kingdom of Ashur, introduced Avodah Zarah, perhaps he was led to do so by no small degree from the kingdom of Ashur. Eventually, however, even Menashe fell out of favor in the eyes of the kings of Ashur. The kings of Ashur took Menashe captive, and in the kingdom of Ashur, there, Menashe did Shuvah, as we know, Hazal Telesh, and we see in the Brehayamim, Menashe died in Shuvah, he did Shuvah by the end of his life, and when he returned to Yerushalayim, it was once again a state of taxes on the, on the kingdom of Yehuda. Ashur once again placed a tax, however, was satisfied with that tax for the time being on the kingdom of Yehuda. After Menashe, his son Ammon ruled for two years, and finally Yoshiyahu ruled, as we know, Yeshua was a righteous king, and it was in, during his time that the kingdom of Ashur was finally destroyed. It seems to be, and the Malbim in particular, brings up many historical documents that seem to indicate to there were two main stages of destruction for the kingdom of Ashur. First, it seems to be the Bavlim, as well as Madai, got together, destroyed the capital city of Nineveh, and then finally, Nebuchadnezzar came, and in the first year of his kingdom, destroyed the kingdom of Ashur as the as Chazal tell us. Having laid the historical groundwork, we can now begin to appreciate the time frame in which Nahum was working. Nothing is given about Nahum in Sefer Nahum, his time period, where he was being Minaveh. We don't know anything about him. Uh, we never see the name Nahum elsewhere in Tanakh. Also, he's called Nahum Ha'el Koshi. We don't know what Al Kosh is. It is a place. It is at the name of his father. We don't see it elsewhere in Tanakh, and really, there's no sure, sure way to know. Hazal tell us, in Seder Olam, 
that Nahum was Minadeh with two other Nevi'im, Yoel and Havakuk, together at the same period during the time of Menasheh, the king of Menasheh. As we mentioned earlier, this would make a lot of sense during the time of Menasheh, there was a period of where Ashur actually took the king captive, and during the rest of the time, they were definitely empowered over the kingdom of Yehuda, had taxes upon them, as we said. The Rambam, in his Haktamat of the Mishneh Torah, mentions Nahum as the student of Yoel. He's the one, a chain and the link of Torah Shabbat Peh, so to speak, who got the Torah from Yoel. So again, would also be placing him in the same period. We can actually see from some of the Pesukim proof for this time period and try to figure out from what the Pesukim are talking about when exactly Yoel was a Navi. In Gimel, Pesukim Haytiyud, they have a reference to Noamon, a city which perhaps is thieves, in which the Navi Nahum talks about the destruction of Noamon and talking to Ashur says, are you any better than Noamon? What's important is, is we know that Noamon was destroyed about 77 years before the Hoban Habayi. That's during the time of Menashe. So what we establish now is that the Sefer Nahum was Navi between the year 77 before the Hoban and 26 years before the Hoban when the king, when Nidveh was destroyed. Thus we now have a window of 50 years. However, we can narrow it down even further. We have several references in Sefer Nahum about Bnei Israel being subjugated to the kingdom of Ashur. We have a pasuk indicating that they can't even celebrate their holidays properly. Perhaps indicating to us that this was during the time of Menashe when he was really a vassal of Ashur, not allowing Bnei Israel to worship Hashem properly, perhaps before he did Shuvah and before he was exiled and then further returned to the kingdom of Yehuda. While we do not know when exactly Menashe was exiled and when he did Shuvah, what we do know is that seem, there seems to be having been an uprising about 68 years before the Chaban Bait Rishon from other Near Eastern kingdoms. Thus, it makes a lot of sense to place that uprising near 68. And thus, we have about a 10-year period in the beginning of Menashe's reign in which we can peg down that is probably where Nahum was Menaveh. Nineveh is probably familiar to a lot of us from Sefer Yonah. We know that's where Yonah goes and urges them to do tshuva. This would place the Sefer Nahum about 100 years after the story of Yonah, which would make a lot of sense because something very major happened in between 100 years ago and now, which is the destruction of Mahut Yisrael by Ashur. Thus it makes a lot of sense. Before their destruction, they had yet to fulfill their task, so to speak, that God laid upon them of the destruction of Mahut Yisrael. After they fulfilled it, they continued to do evil. They renounced their tshuva, perhaps continued in their bad ways. And finally, Nahum here during the time of Menasheh is prophesizing about their destruction 50 years from now. And very obvious question is, why do we care so much about Mahut Ashur? What does it matter? We have three Pirakim. Not, there's not one word of tshuva, of urging of tshuva to Bnei Israel. We just have three Pirakim of exclaiming the destruction of Mahut Ashur. Firstly, it's important to understand that at a time when you're subjugated to a nation, you need hope. You need aspirations. You need to have a belief that something good is going to happen, that God is going to return and perhaps turn the tide. And that's what Nahum provided the people. Second, we know that there are many other Nivim at the time period. So yes, there were probably other Nivim telling Bnei Israel to do tshuva. Perhaps Nahum himself told Bnei Israel to do tshuva. But that's not the point of Sefer Nahum. Sefer Nahum, much like Sefer al is a book of hope. 
is a book of telling the people God has not forsaken you. Sefer Nahum has been called a book of outraged humanity, at Nahum exclaiming the anger, the indignation that has been placed upon the people of Yehuda at the kingdom and saying there will be hope, it will finally be destroyed, and that's expressed with a lot of passion, perhaps even with joy. Pasuk Aleph. The prophecy of Ninveh, the book of vision, Nahum Ha'el Koshi. Masa is literally burden, and Chazal tells us it's one of the ten words used for Nibuah. We see it other times as well. Uh, perhaps the Nibuah is called a burden because the Navi carries it, so to speak, in his mouth. It's of weighty importance, it has much to say. Sefer Hazon, this is the first time we see in Tanakh a book of Nevi'im referred to as a Sefer by the Navi itself. The Barbanel indicates that perhaps the reason for doing so is because Nahum himself did not live in Nineveh and therefore wrote down his prophecies and sent them over to Nineveh in the form of a book or a scroll and thus already from the time of Nahum it was already in a book. As we mentioned, Nahum is not seen anywhere else in Tanakh, and Al-Khoshi is not seen anywhere else as well. There's no indication to as to what exactly it might be referring to. Pasuk Bet. El kano v'nokem Adonai, nokem Adonai uval chema, nokem Adonai letzarav v'noter hu lo'ivav. Hashem is a jealous and vengeful God. Hashem is vengeful and full of wrath. Hashem is vengeful to his adversaries, and reserves wrath for his enemies. This pasuk gives a description of Hashem as being a powerful God, one who takes vengeance, one who is out there to get his enemies, one who is out there to attack. The word nokem is mentioned three times, vengeful. Hashem is going to take revenge for all the evil that the kingdom of Ashur has done. As we'll see in the very next pasuk, this is sharply contrasted by the other attributes of Hashem. In the Morena Bukhim, Rambam mentions that certain attributes, anger, vengeance, are, when applied to God, are talking specifically about the sin of Avodah Zarah, and thus we, from this Pesuk, it's evident that Hashem was angry about the Avodah Zarah and idol worship that the kingdom of Ashur was doing. Pesuk Gimel. Adunai erech apayim ugdal koach v'nake lo yinake. Adunai besufah v'sa'ara darko v'anan avak raglav. Hashem is slow to anger and has great power, and he will not absolve sin. Hashem in a storm and in a tempest is his way, and clouds are the dust of his feet. Continuing in the powerful description of a God who is all-powerful, who takes vengeance on his enemies, it continues to describe God as being slow to anger, yet has great power. The slow to anger is seeming out of the place. The rest of the passage continues to say that he doesn't absolve those who sin, that he's in a storm and a tempest, perhaps indicating to the great power, to the quickness that he punishes those who are go against his way. And that really leaves the question why this attribute seemingly of mercy is in this pasuk. One possible explanation is the fact that Hashem is Erech is a testament to how much power he has. For the fact that Hashem, time is irrelevant to him. He could choose to exact punishment whenever he wishes. The entire plans of the earth and how things are going to unfold are laid out before him. He's not like a human being who needs to react to a situation. Hashem has quite literally all the time in the world to make an action. Edech 
he's not acting on rash decisions, he's acting on divine justice and with the proper time frame and frame of mind. It's interesting to see, and we'll continue to see, some very anthropomorphic descriptions of God, describing God has some feelings and having actions. Of course, obviously, we all know that those don't apply to God, but the very fact that we are ascribing them to God indicates the amazing power destruction that will come on to us, sure. It'll be so great. His attributes will appear as such a vengeful God to wreak such destruction on the people of Ashur. Before we begin Pasuk Gidalid, I'd just like to point out that there seems to be an alphabetical arrangement of the Pasukim in the first Pedic of Sefer Nahum. So we have Pasuk that starts with El, with an Aleph, then we have a Gimel in Pasuk Dalid, Go'er Bayam, then He in Pasuk He Harim. And we continue, and if you'll, you could look, see for yourself that the Pesukim seem to have a general alphabetic structure until finally ending off at the end of the parasha in, with the Ot Kaf. Of course, some it's not perfect. Sometimes you might need to take a letter from the middle of the Pesuk, sometimes some are missing, but there does seem to be that structure existing. Um, perhaps coincidentally, there's no way to know for sure. Pesuk Dalid. Qa'ed bayam v'ayb'shehu v'chol ha'neharot he rebukes the sea and dries it up, and all of the rivers he has made dry. The Bashan and Carmel are withered, and the flowers of the Lebanon have withered. In a pasuk describing unthinkable events to the reader in the time of Nahum, a, a dried up river, an ocean that completely dried up, Bashan and Carmel, two lands of great fertility, completely drying up, lack of fruit, lack of produce, lack of anything live growing. Same thing for the Lebanon, famous for its trees and vegetation, withered, completely withered. Continuously describing the power of Hashem, and perhaps in a negative way, so to speak, as describing Hashem's destructive nature, the same destructive nature that He will go and bring upon the kingdom of Ashur. Pasuk the mountains quake from him, and the hills melt, and the land was raised up in front of him, and earth and all its inhabitants. Continuing to describe the powerful nature of Hashem, Nahum really says beautiful Nivuot, describing with such powerful imagery, the power of Hashem, the hills and mountains overturning and melting, the land itself rising up in front in the face of God. Such powerful imagery is characteristic of Nahum, who uses these powerful imageries to get his message, his singular message of the destruction of Ashur across to his audience. Pasuk Vav. Before his wrath, who can stand and who can rise up in his burning anger? His anger is poured out like fire and the rocks shatter from it. If to the very earth, to the very mountains and rivers and oceans of the earth, Hashem has such powerful powers over, what can a mere human being do against that powerful nature? Continues to describe God's anger as fire being poured over, perhaps can think of molten lava, even rocks are shattered from the powerful heat. Pasuk Zayn. 
God is good, a stronghold on a day of trouble, and knows those who take refuge in him. Here, after seven pesukim of powerful descriptions of God as a destructive God, a God of great destructive nature, here we have a very simple pasuk. God is good. He can be a stronghold in the day of trouble and knows those who take refuge in him. This simple pasuk, this small pasuk, is all the more powerful for its simplicity. After stating all the powerful allegories of destroying mountains, raining fire upon people, only one pasuk is needed to show the truth, the goodness of Hashem at the very same time to those who are good to Hashem and follow His path, Tova Dunai. God is good. And that simple pasuk shows us that it's not God. God is not the angry one. God is not emotional. God is not a God of hate. God simply treats humans as they deserve to be treated. Pasuk and with an overrunning flood, destruction he will make of its place, and its enemies will be chased by darkness. Right after describing the good, so to speak, nature of God, we continue with God's destructive power, like a flood that goes over and completely destroys the place that used to be, nothing remains from what used to be there before. The Malbim explains this verse literally, and mentions that during the, during the first siege on Nineveh, the kingdom there was confident, and his soothsayers told him, as long as the river stays within its banks, you're safe. However, once the river overruns its bank, as our Pazuk says, then you're in trouble. When that happened, the king lost hope, committed suicide, and eventually led to the destruction of Nineveh. So he interprets his verse quite literally. Pazuk Tet, what do you think about Hashem? A complete destruction he is doing. Trouble will not arise twice. Turning to the people of Ashur, Nahum says, What do you think of Hashem that you continue on your evil ways? It must be that you do not think that Hashem is really capable of fulfilling the nevuot the, that he has prophesied against you. And the Navi continues, Well, you're very wrong, essentially. Complete destruction. You're not going to get another chance. You're not going to have time to say, Oh, God is serious about this. Has the power to bring upon this, this destruction. It will be a complete destruction the first time with no need and no ability to be destroy anything after that because there won't be anything left. For while they are still like tied up thorns, and as they drink, they are drunk, they shall be devoured like fully dried straw. Ashur now is seemingly in an impenetrable position. It's the most powerful nation. They're like thorns tied up. You can't reach any of them. And if you try, they have bristles. They poke you. It's very hard to get a hand on them. And they're all intertwined with each other, very hard to pull out. And they're still enjoying their sin. They're still seemingly reveling drinking, and still enjoying the fruits of their evilness. And yet, at that very point, God will burn them as if they are dried up straw. There's nothing easier to burn. Nothing is a challenge to God, and it will be the easiest thing in the world to remove them from the face of the earth. From you has came out one who thinks evil on Hashem, 
one who advises wickedness. This is referring to Sanchiriv, who, as we know, already destroyed the Malchut of Israel. And when Sanchiriv sent forth the kingdom to conquer Yehuda, as we know, he failed to do so. He, he sent forth his general, Rav Shakeh, and Rav Shakeh called out blasphemies against Hashem. We see Sanchiriv then is one who evil sprouts forth from. Pasuk Yud Bet. Ko Amar Adunai, im shilimim v'chen rabim v'chen narozhu v'avar. Thus said God, if you are full of strength and numerous, even so you shall be cut down and you shall be passed over, and I will afflict you, and I will have no, no need to afflict you more. Once again, Nahum is talking to the most powerful nation in the world right now, and he says, don't think you're okay just because you might be numerous, you might be powerful. It will only serve to make your destruction greater. Just as you're powerful, so too will your destruction be wondrous. And I will only, once again, he points out, will only need to afflict you once, and that will be the end of your afflictions, because there won't be anything left to afflict. And now I will break his yoke from upon you, and I will snap your bonds. It seems that now Nahum is returning back to Israel, saying, what will happen to you now? Now you'll be free. You won't have the overbearing kingdom of Ashur on your backs, requiring taxes and c controlling you, not letting you be the, an independent nation. Abarbanel, on the other hand, explains that this pasuk is still referring to Nidveh, referring to the yoke of the king. I will break the yoke of the king upon you, meaning I will take away your rulership, your power, all the powerful things that made you into the great nation you are, and you won't have them any longer. Pasuk Yudalid. And God will command regarding you, your name shall not be sown anymore. From the house of your God, I will cut off molten and graven images. I will place your grave, for you have become disgusting. This final pasuk of Perek Aleph refers to the king, to the king of Ashur, to the one who was ruling over them at the time. And he says, Your names shall not be perpetuated any longer. Your, your kingdom, your dynasty will be forgotten. From your, from your house of your God, I will destroy the idols that are there. In order to understand this pasuk, we need to understand how Sanchariv died. We see that Sanchariv was died while he was praying in a temple to his God, and his sons came and murdered him. Thus, Radak comments that, the temple was probably abandoned, leaving this temple to fulfill the pasuk, The Malbim remarks further that the, the method of the kingdoms, kings of Ashur was to place images of themselves in their temples and worship themselves as God. Since Sanchariv was destroyed in such a disgraceful way, all the images of him would be removed and left to nothing.